Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom supermint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable plant-based sugarcane and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website, before.com, and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-1-0, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. When Ariel Swan is in the room, you feel her presence. Her laugh is big and infectious. Her speech cadence is quick and lively. A longtime professional dancer, she started her career at 18 years old, traveling the world performing on cruise ships and doing commercial gigs. Eventually, she co-founded the popular long weekend R&B dance party Slow Jam Sundays in Vancouver. It became a Pilates and Legree instructor. Then, in the summer of 2019, Ariel opened Jaybird, an infrared yoga and Pilates studio, with her business partner Barbie Bent. Ariel was born and raised in North Vancouver, a fearless and adventurous child who was in perpetual motion. She was a rhythmic gymnast until an injury sidelined her. She found her way back to movement through dance and began to pursue a career, landing her first professional gig as a BC Lions cheerleader and creating a new modern burlesque dance movement with friends. Eventually, another injury ended her dance path, a challenging identity crisis for her. But she again found her way back to movement, this time into yoga and Pilates, working for Barbie at Legree West. A call from her actress sister, Sarunda, prompted Ariel to move to LA to house and dog sit. There, she went to a few infrared movement classes. She and Barbie began to talk about the possibility of bringing the concept to Vancouver, but Ariel found herself having to push through her fear to finally make it happen. Jaybird now has studios in Vancouver and Toronto, with a second one coming in Yorkville, and plans to expand into the US. 
In this conversation, we talk about the responsibility she took on as a young child and teen, where her love for dance comes from, how picking up choreography is a matter of letting go and trusting, what she learned about herself traveling the world as a cruise ship dancer, her relationship with her body as someone who practices embodiment as a career, the story of how Jaybird came to be, her love for Peru and the retreats she's hosted there, how her relationship to fear has evolved over time, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with the free-spirited, hard-working, and kinetic Ariel Swan. Ariel Swan, welcome to The Craft. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to me be here. Me too. I know. I feel like this has been months in the making, maybe even like a year in the making. I know. Well, when <laughs> we first started so about- yeah. And also you had you into the studio. Yes. So it was yes. like right back from the beginning when you offered like your beautiful experience to Jaybird. So yes. yeah, we kind of oh. talked about it then. So That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So sometime in this year, but earlier this yeah. year. Well, we finally did it. You're here in Van. You're Amazing. here in Vancouver. You were in Toronto for a while. Now you're here and we get to talk about your story. How do you feel? How are you feeling today? You know what? I'm feeling good. It's been a bit of a crazy day, but um, it's good. I'm going back to Toronto in a couple of days. So just trying to get all the loose mm-hmm. ends from the holidays and also just with like, it's always getting into see everyone when you're home. Yeah, you know? no kidding. No kidding. So, but yeah, very happy to be here. How long are you going to be in Toronto for? Probably back in Toronto, well, the majority of the next year to year and a half um, because we're opening a second studio out there. But I might come back in March. I'm turning 40, which is terrifying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm going to probably come back and do an event and stuff out here for that. Oh, fun. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's go to young Ariel. I feel, well, I've only known you as an adult. So I would love to know what you were like as a kid and then what you were like as a teenager. Good question. I don't know um, how well you actually see yourself at that time of, as like a human being. Um, I guess what I've heard of myself. Um, I was very adventurous. I didn't have any fear. I would just, I was the person that would like climb on anything, jump off anything. Um, I love to move. I think that I definitely was like a mummy's girl. Um, so my parents, when they got divorced, I was like very adamant. I wanted to be with my mother. So I think I had a very strong sense of what I wanted and what I didn't want, even from a very young age. Um, yeah, I was probably quite stubborn just because of knowing those things. <laughs> I remember they tried some of they tried to make me um when my parents got divorced, they, they wanted me to go to therapy and I didn't believe and for some reason I didn't want to go. So I just refused to speak. I just sat there. <laughs> You're like, so I'm just gonna t- be mute. I just was mute. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so maybe that explains maybe I wasn't an easy kid. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that. The yeah. conviction of oh, well, yeah. you're not gonna hear me talk. Yeah, I just all. sat there. <laughs> And they're like, you're six. Are you sure? <laughs> but I guess that was probably me as a young kid. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you eventually break down and go no. to therapy? No. Nope, you nope. held your ground. Yeah. Yeah. Never Look had to go you. back. <laughs> they were like, are you going to speak next time? I'm like, no. So I just, just never went back. Well, obviously now, now yes. I realize it might've helped me through some of my issues if I would have started going at six, but stubborn me wanted to try to figure it out on my own, I guess. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And were you the same as a teen? Um, as a teen, I think I really knew what I wanted. Like I wanted to be a professional dancer. So I was pretty good at like just being super disciplined, um, I mean, like I had some fun, but I was like working when I was a teenager. My mom and I didn't have a ton of money. So like I like worked and I would like make sure that everything was kind of taken care of 
she'd go away quite a bit. So there was like a lot of, lot of responsibility on me as a child. Um, so I definitely wasn't a person that was outgoing crazy. I was more like go to dance class, like help teach the little kids to dance so that I could dance at the studio. Um, lots of like things like that that just allowed me to be pretty responsible, but also it was all for the fact that I knew I wanted to dance. So I was going towards a goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was going to ask about that sort of feeling of responsibility at, you know, a younger age and how that made you feel. Well, I definitely think it has given me a scarcity complex now that I'm older. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, I think knowing, like not having a lot and being responsible for what you have at a young age really gives you that ability to be afraid that if you lose something, you're not going to have anything else. So I've worked very hard and I'm still working on it a lot now um, to understand that there's like enough and that I don't have to like kill myself and work so hard to be able to get what I want and what I feel like I deserve. Um, But it did really keep me out of a lot of trouble um, and it gave me a really good sense of really good work ethic. Um, and I think you get a lot of, you do get a lot of fulfillment out of knowing what you want and then working towards it and actually being able to accomplish that. So yeah, when I first got my first professional dance job, it was like a big thing cause you sacrifice a lot and you end up doing it. So yeah. 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 Where do you think the love of dance came from? Like if you were so sure, I'm, I'm interested in like the genesis of, of the loving dance. I think I loved to move and I loved to be on stage. Like I loved to perform. Um, when I was young, I was a gymnast and then I grew really tall really quickly and ended up not doing gym anymore and then became a rhythmic gymnast, hurt my back in rhythmic gymnastics and then had to quit all movement for a little bit. And that's how I finally got into dance. And when I first went into dance, I was told that I would never be a dancer because I have like no arches in my feet and I'm like, my body technically isn't a dancer body. Um, But it made me more determined, I guess. And I just, I really love to move. Um, Movement was like my freedom, I think. It made me feel like I could get away from everything in my life. And that was just like me and movement and like I felt the most like myself I guess when mm-hmm. I was moving um and I love being on stage I liked it sounds really kind of vain but I liked being the center of attention and performing and being able to like just go out there and give everything and you know so mm. I think that's where it's that's where my original love came mm. from yeah and I guess with dancing too if I'm if I'm thinking about it you you can choose to be you when you're dancing and it's you that's expressing yeah or you can step into a character depending on what you're performing exactly so yeah it's it's interesting it's it's like it's acting mm-hmm. and it's in art its in way. a way it's right? art. Yeah, so it's, it's also art. how you mm-hmm. every move you step it's your variation of it or it's like you then but you sometimes have to once you get farther like along it's more of like how the company or how like they want you to fit within the vision but when you're like younger it's kind of like take the steps and make them your own and you know mm. do the best you can so right I'm so curious because when I was a teenager, I um, ended up taking hip hop dancing when I was probably around 16 and I loved it. I loved it. But the one thing that I wasn't that great at was picking up choreography. And I'm curious to know, in obviously your professional experience and observing, um, some people must be more natural at picking up choreography than other people. And I'm wondering what you think that difference is. Is it like a left brain, right brain thing? Or yeah, like what is it that makes someone 
um, have that natural ability to be like, okay, got it after like seeing it once or twice. I wish I knew I was terrible at picking up choreography too. Mm, <laughs> it was one okay. of my, like, it was honestly one of my more like my weaknesses. Um, you can definitely learn it. You can definitely practice. So obviously the more choreography you learn, um, a lot of it too, in my opinion, I'm sure there'll be other people that will come on and have tools for it and things. I never was taught any of those. So maybe, um, and I haven't danced in 10 years, so I'm not a professional anymore. But um, for me, sometimes it has to do with confidence too. So like if you're learning something in an audition and then you ha- you learn it and you got it, and then you have to go do it. It's just having the confidence to know that you know. Um, because sometimes the minute that you get in your own way, having your mind start to go, that's when you'll forget. So there's a lot about just like allowing to be able to kind of turn your mind off and actually be in the present moment mm-hmm. and be able to kind of um, just trust yourself and go with it. But there is obviously a technique of actually picking up steps. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with just like practice. But there are some people like my best friend who I danced with forever. She could pick up choreography in like two seconds. And I'd be like, Kim, like, how do you do it? Yeah. And for me, it took me so much more work, like way, way more work. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's really, really fascinating. Yeah. And I'm just reflecting on what you're saying about getting out of your own way and just letting it flow. And I'm like, oh yeah, like, I mean, that's probably how we should be moving through life as best we can. Yeah. Right. Getting out of our own way. Hmm. (laughs) Well, that's when you try to get out of your way. It's also like I probably like to try to control and you do have to try to just like let go of control and just dance the steps. And if you mess up, you mess up. But if you really want to control, it's exactly like what you're saying. (laughs) If you want to control life, you're in your own way. Usually (laughs) life is like, ah. Yeah. So it's like, we'll show you. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You don't have the step. You might as well just let go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Trust. Trust. Yeah. Well, I'd love to explore your chapter as a professional dancer and all the travel that you did on on cruises and doing commercial gigs really was such a significant part of your life. And you started when you were 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. um, I got my first real like professional job, hilariously enough, as a BC Lions dance team member. (laughs) And we were told that we were not going to use pom poms, that we were going to be the dance team. Um, And funny enough, I've met all my best friends like at that gig. And so it's been, that's been an amazing start of like my dance life, but also we got there and first rehearsal, they gave us the pom-poms and I started crying. (laughs) I was like, I didn't put this much work in to just be a cheerleader. And there's nothing against cheerleaders. I think anyone that's a cheerleader, it's amazing. I just like had this idea of what I wanted and didn't happen um but yeah so I did that and I met like all of my best friends that we ended up we're still best friends now which is incredible and um that group went on to starting the first like modern burlesque group called burlesque beauties in Vancouver oh I remember and this that. was like mm-hmm. before anyone was dancing in that style so it was kind of like right when the pussycat dolls came out there was no like heels classes there was no se- really any sort of like sexy style at all anywhere so we came out as like the first female kind of really that style, like modern burlesque. Um, And so we did a lot of work. We actually like opened for Russell Peters at GM Place, which was insane and like danced at the Playboy Mansion and did like a bunch of stuff like that. Um, Did a little tour across Canada and just kind of, that was like our main, for me, it was my main for about like seven years of where my, like everything was going because it was our group, our choreography. Um, So we did a lot of that, which was, 
we got a lot of slack, like flack at the beginning. A lot of dancers were like, you guys are selling out. This is like, you're just using sex for us to sell, blah, blah, blah. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, now look where the studio yes. everything's gone. So no we kidding. were a little ahead of the time. Um, so yeah, it was pretty amazing to be a part of something like that in this city and have a lot of people really like welcome us with open arms and also have to fight the people that were like, you're not real dancers, you're not trained, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, and there's nothing like, there's nothing wrong with non-trained dancers either. It's just depending on, it was more that the, the attitude towards us was very negative in a place where we were trying to do something new. And I think that like that can be really hard when you're actually putting yourself out there and not getting this support or you're getting talked down to. And now you look back like what? Yeah, yeah. 15 years later and I'm like, oh, yeah. So like Chantelle Hunt taught the first heels class at Harbor, Carla Catherwood, like I was going to say, that, was Carla like, part of it? Yeah, Carla, I feel Chantelle, like I came yeah. to a class. Yeah. this was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, it was like yeah. Carla and I and Rachel Wainwright, um, Kim, Kara, yeah, it was like a crew of us that started at Brianna English. Yeah, so mm. a lot of old school dancers. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because it, I feel now like a lot of women want to take these types of classes. And for me, it kind of signals this, maybe women are just more comfortable comfortable mm-hmm. in being in their feminine yeah. power and their sensuality, which is great. It's great. Mm-hmm. And I think it frees you. Sometimes it is uncomfortable. Like a lot of people, like I used to teach the classes too. And some people have like never moved their hips or never moved their body or actually like moved in a sexy way. And that is super empowering for a lot of people to be like, oh, I am sexy. I can move sexy and I can show other people my beauty. I don't have to hide it. And I think that a lot of, well, there is a part of humanity that is told fem- like femininity to be kind of like put down, like keep it for the bedroom, keep it in yourself. You can't show yourself off. Um, so I think women coming out and being powerful and being like, I want to express my sexuality and mm-hmm. this is me. That's yeah. very, it's very powerful. Yes. And I think it can be, um, maybe for some people makes them feel uncomfortable for some men maybe it's like the power dynamic shifting a little bit so I'm all for it yeah I'm all for it too and on women of all body types like exactly just, just do it feel, yeah feel good why yeah, not exactly yeah well let's go back to your um professional dancing days and yeah what was it like I mean you were traveling a ton you were young like how are you feeling in this this chapter of your life um it's was it is crazy my first job after the bc lions was dancing on cruise ships so back in the day that was like the good job one of the good jobs you can get so you're pretty much gone for a year of your life and you live on a ship um there's usually two people in a cabin so and the cabin is about the size of like any decent sized bathroom like it's they're so small so it's like two kind of beds or like my first ship had two bunk beds that I slept on the top and my roommate slept on the bottom um and then a tiny little bathroom the size of what you would get like the bathroom is they're just mini like you could think almost like anything that would be like a travel bathroom um and you're traveling from like place to place um my first ship I did a world like almost a world tour which was insane we got on in New Zealand and then we ended up like crossing the Pacific and the Atlantic in the same month went through the Panama Canal wild makes you crazy I'm not gonna lie um but it was an interesting experience I I feel that like I got college in a new way you learn so much about yourself from being far away this I mean this is before like 
smartphones and before like the internet as we know it. You can't, you're not connected to anyone. You have to like get off the ship, go get a payphone card and like call like that way and hopefully someone is going to answer. Um, there was email by the end of like my second ship, but like we're on a ship. Like it, even then you're thinking like you're in the middle of the ocean. It's, it's in, spotty. Yeah. And it's not the same as it is now. Here <laughs> you're, you're dialing up. <laughs> yeah. Like literally you're like. Dick, 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 dick. <laughs> um, so yeah, you learn a lot. I think I learned a lot through that. Um, and some of the shows you're doing are like you have these ideas that you're going to get to do this choreography and it's going to be amazing. And you realize that you do two shows a night. They're an hour and a half long. Your body is dying. You get a day off in between. Um, you know, we were doing like we had to go and like do certain duties with those different people. And, you know, so you'd be doing bingo with and like there's just like so you, it's, it's not as glamorous as you thought it was yeah. going to be. But um, I thought I was just like happy to be there. And then came back and danced more in Vancouver and then ended up going on a second ship and that one was like the number one ship in the world, which was we got treated like a lot better. We didn't have to mm. do as much. The food was better. We did the same kind of seven days in the Caribbean. So you kind of get used to, I get to go here and eat this. And it's just like different. It has more of a bit yeah. of a regulation in your life, which mm. you don't have mm -hmm. when you go to a different city or a different country every day. And you're like, and this is before the Euro. So you're like, what money am I using? What language am I speaking? Where do I eat? What do I do? So it's uh, got to figure things out. Got to figure things out pretty quickly for yourself. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I'm so curious about um, the world of professional dancing. Is it a hard industry to break into? Yeah. I mean, like, I f I'm very, I'm very happy of what shows like So You Think You Can Dance um, and all of this is done for the dance industry. I feel that it's given dancers a way higher regard. Um, I remember like when I first started dancing, like the best job was to dance for like Janet or Brittany and what they were getting paid was something that you would not want to know. Like it's not what the best person at something in the world should be getting paid. It's not even close. Um, same thing in like film and stuff. Now dancers are treated so much better. People I think appreciate dance in a new way by seeing it on television, by understanding what goes into it. So I feel like now there's so many dancers, so it's almost harder to get into the industry. Whereas for me, there wasn't as many, not as many people dream to be professional dancers. Now it's everywhere. There's TikTok. If there was TikTok, I would have been up so happy, <laughs> <laughs> but no, didn't get TikTok. Um, but I feel like there's a, um, there's more people wanting to dance, which makes it a lot harder to break in and, but there's more jobs. Mm, if that mm. answers your question yeah no totally because yeah I was thinking about all of my my good buddies that were pro snowboarders or skateboarders or mm -hmm. skiers and the ones that seem to transition out of that life with some of them with more ease than others and yeah I guess the second part of my question is um what does a successful transition out of professional dancing look like like I know you were kind of forced out of it due to a back injury like your second one and I'm wondering, is this where you become like a choreographer? This is where you open up a studio. I mean, it, I'm wondering if it, it it is hard to transition out of it because that's what you were doing for so long. And it's for a lot of dancers, including myself, it's all encompassing of who you are. So you have an idea of who you exist as inside and out as a dancer. And so when you strip that label off of you, a lot of people don't know who they are, what they're like, they just don't feel know how to exist 
um, which was really how I felt. I was like, who am I without dance? Like, like what do I have to offer without dancing? Um, a lot of dancers teach. I taught for the whole, like most of the time I was dancing. Um, so you, a lot of people will either become full-time teachers, um, choreographers, there's like, that's kind of, but it's not an easy transition out. Um, or a lot of people are now going into what I similarly did, yoga, Pilates movement in that way. Um, for me, I think like I just got to a place where I couldn't perform at the level that I wanted to. I was in pain like whenever after whenever I would dance and I kept pushing. I should have actually probably quit like three years before I did. But as I said before, I was so wrapped up in this idea of who I thought I was in regards to dance. And without that, I didn't feel like I had any place in the world or I would exist in the world. So when I quit dancing, um, I quit completely. Like I actually haven't even taken a dance class since I quit. Like I was like, I'm not going to go back. Um, I think it was just really, it would be too, it was like so hard. I needed, I needed a, like a, a very strong break. Now I feel like I should probably, I shouldn't say should, now I'd probably like to go back, but it'd be hard on my ego because I probably <laughs> would be horrible. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think that there's like ways to move out of it. For me, I went through like a big transition. I was like teaching, um, dancing. I was working in restaurants as a bartender, which a lot of dancers do or did at my um, at my time. And then luckily kind of got to a place where I made a decision that sort of like changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and I didn't even mean to really make it. Like I was turning 28 at the time and it was my birthday and I was totally, oh, sorry, I was turning 29. And uh, I kind of had all these ideas of where I thought I was going to be at 29. I'm like, I'm going to have like a house or I'm going to have a job that I'm going to like be successful at and I'm going to have like a family or like starting a family, blah, yada, 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 you know. And I had none of it. And I couldn't do what I loved anymore. I was broke. I just like was like living with a roommate and apartment and like, you know. And I just – and because of kind of stripping back the idea of me as a dancer, I didn't know who I was and I just didn't feel like I had any worth. So I was like really down and it was my birthday and everyone was like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I was a big party girl. I loved to go out dancing and – I at that time was like I don't want to celebrate me I don't feel that there's anything worth celebrating because I didn't feel I had anything left to offer and uh, then I because of that I made a decision to be like no like I'm going to do something that's going to make the world a better place because I'm on this planet instead of just like sitting here and moping or going out drinking like let's do something to and I did it in a selfish way because I was like oh this might make me feel better like if I do something good I can make a difference so I asked all my friends to come to the downtown east side and bring food instead of using the money that they would have to go out partying. And that's how I originally started Feed the People. So I had like 25 people show up and we just like handed out food and then went out for dinner after and all talked about it. And everyone's like, I want to do this for my birthday. I want to do this for my birthday. Um, and now you're at 50K yeah. plus meals. Yeah. And then 10 years later – we were doing it. We did it every month for 10 years for in honor of someone's birthday and partnered with some like amazing companies like Parlor and Blueprint and did some really beautiful, amazing events, um, raised enough money to buy, to build um, 10 houses in El Salvador as well as a community center. 
um, raised money for Peru. Like there's just been so many different things that we've done out of this. So that was kind of like a shift in trajectory, I guess I could say, where you don't realize is how maybe a simple action can change everything. And it was kind of like a new, and then right after that, uh, we started Slow Jam Sunday. So it's kind of funny. Like I made a decision and then I was like, I have to quit bartending. It's terrifying, but I have to quit. I'm so unhappy. And you quit one thing, make space for something else. And SGS took off. So yeah. yeah. 11 years later, it's like, I know. Can you, can you even believe it? No. And people show up in droves for this. I know. Is it monthly? Yeah. Long weekends. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. And they are so fun. I've been to a few and yeah. it's, you know, just everyone is there to to dance and yeah. to be free and just a good time. It always feels like that at, at the events. So that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the funny thing about SGS too that people forget now is, is that it sounds like insane. But when we started SGS, the idea of playing R&B in the club was insane. Like, like you don't do that. No one's going to come. And now it's everywhere. Like R&B yeah. has like taken off and it's, we kind of started it just before so it's kind of the same thing that happened with like Burlesque Beauties. Like we started something just before it took off. And then because we were the first and we had been the originals, then we're able to do huge shows like Commodore and stuff because mm -hmm. – and bring in a bunch of artists and have like enough clout for people to be like, oh, yeah, I'll go to that. But really it was a lot of luck too because R&B like completely taken off in the past like 10 years and it's kind of the new genre, which is really interesting. Would you do it in other cities or have you? Yeah, we've done Seattle – um, we did one in Toronto, just a small mm -hmm. one. We did one in Edmonton. Um, but that's all we've done so far. We yeah. had, like right before COVID hit, we had a plan and we were like talking to a bunch of different people to try to do like a bigger kind of tour. Um, but COVID kind of gave that mm -hmm. a little bit of a wrench. And so now it's, it's hard. It's, it's, a, it's harder. Like we're not sure. Cause there's way more people doing it now. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of R&B parties. There's a lot of like, so bringing mm -hmm. it to a new city is great. But if you don't have the network to do it, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get that. And that's why it works here. Is mm -hmm. your, your network is fully here. Yeah. Well, I but mean. But the boys are amazing. Like those DJs yeah. are really, they're the best of the best. So it's who good knows? music. Who knows? Anyone yeah. who hasn't been to SJS, this is, this is your call. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. It's really fun. I have a question about embodiment. Mm -hmm. So all of your life, you've been utilizing your body, being a dancer, teaching Pilates, you know, having to heal your back, all the classes that you're leading at, at Jaybird. Um, how would you describe your relationship with your body as someone who practices such embodied things regularly? I think that my body is my connection to source. So um, ever since I was young, I've always like looked for kind of why do I exist and what do I have to offer and how can I like live myself out fully? Um, I just taught to meditate when I was six years old. So it's been like a part of my life. I've been a very spiritual person and looking at this idea of living this soul, living this life out and being able to be present um, and take in each moment fully. Our bodies like can only exist in this present moment. So like their physical form can't exist in the past or in the future. It only exists here. So when I can come back to my body, I can come back to the present moment, which can embody me here. And when I'm here, I can be fully, I could almost say like fully me. 
because a lot of the time when I'm thinking about the past or I'm thinking about the future, I'm slightly fractured. Like I'm a bit of like a fraction of myself because all of those are kind of a reaction to something that's happened or something that might happen. And it's not truly me. It's an idea of what might happen or how I might react. But if I come back to me, come back to my breath, come back to what's happening right here, then I feel like the most fulfilled and I feel the most, I guess, like it sounds like funny to say, but the most like me or the most embodied you can stay. So I movement is my path to that. Some other people might be something else, but being in something that moves my body is how I can find in a way like meditation, mindfulness, and this mm. connection to like a deeper version of, of me. Mm. And there's also like a place of really being free, like free from everything that pulls me down, like everything, all the ideas, all the thoughts, the outside world. But if I can just move, there is like a true freedom that, um, and I guess it's freedom just to be me. It's not, it's, it's, it's freedom from the things that I limit myself already for. It's not that the outside world's doing it. It's I, but like a Jaybird, we have moments where we just let people have like a full dance party. And it's my moment to be like, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. Like just let yourself move and be here. And it's very, it can be really liberating. Like you're like just to move yourself in a dark room and not care. So I think mm. I might not dance anymore, but I found ways that still allow me to move my body in ways that I'm not like necessarily performing anymore on stage, but I'm still using my physical self as a tool to kind of grow every day. Yeah. It's more like a, it's almost like a channeling. Exactly. This time. Yeah. 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 There is something about moving your body and dancing at at um, the beginning of the pandemic, I decided that I would commit to ecstatic dancing every morning in front of the mirror in the bathroom oh before I got into the shower. I religiously did that for a year and a half. And I have to admit, um, probably during the summer of last year, I started to sort of fade off mm -hmm. the commitment. And I was actually reflecting about it this morning because I knew I was going to be talking to you. And um, I... I feel like I can tell the difference mm. now that I'm not doing it. I almost feel like I have fallen off some of my rituals that kept me connected somehow to, yeah, the divine and the consciousness um, of things, everything, really. And uh, I think it was just a good reminder that I needed to, I need to move again. There was something about incorporating that into my life that brought something else out in me like a even more of a a lightness or mm -hmm. or something or a, a comfort with my body that I hadn't totally. felt before um yeah yeah I love and that. so I feel like contemplating that this morning because I was going to talk to you I was like oh yeah this is a reminder that I feel that somehow it created flow and mm. made things maybe energy unstuck totally well it can raise like no matter if you believe or you don't believe in like chakras and upward flow and downward flow of energy or whatever, but you can feel it when you're feeling light and lifted or when you're feeling more like down, but you can change that, that energy flow or that feeling. And a lot of it, like dancing will do it just like shaking it out, dancing it up. That will actually allow the flow of energy to move upward. So you walk into the rest of your day feeling, as you said, lighter, brighter, more connected. And if you hadn't have done that, like we can wake up on the wrong side of the bed. It happens all the time, yeah, you know? Yeah. If you had a weird dream, you don't remember, whatever, you're feeling kind of, ugh. Mm -hmm. just doing that and making 
a commitment to you is amazing. And, you know, maybe it's not every day. It's just the days you feel like you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I, that's amazing. That's so great. Yeah. I need to get back on the train for sure. Yeah. It felt really, really good to, to do so. And, you know, if you even think of, of all these cultures that, you know, like indigenous cultures, cultures around the world, the way they dance is, it's very freeing Mm -hmm. the way that they, they do it. And they also dance to invoke spirit and the gods. It's, dance is a sacred act. Totally. It's in every culture. There's certain things that are like music, yeah, music, dance, dance, sound. Like there's mm-hmm. all those things that are, and it's it's more important than I think. And the interesting thing is, is that a lot of people don't dance. I know. So like, especially when you get older, um, and you're not. I feel bad, but like when you start, like you're not going to the club anymore, or even if you go to concerts, I watch people at concerts and they're just kind of standing there, and I'm like, <laughs> why? <laughs> so sad. I'm sorry. But they're afraid then to move their body and that's exactly what you're saying. You start to liberate yourself to be free. Mm -hmm. So maybe when, you know, you're out, you don't care as much. But Mm -hmm. in a lot of, as you say, like indigenous cultures, people dance their entire life. It never ended. It was part of ritual. It was part of, it's part of, they danced every day. And especially Western culture, like we don't barely dance. It's like puritanical, isn't it? It's interesting, yeah, right? It, it really, really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you, you're right. It's just, it's a self consciousness mm-hmm. that that our contemporary Western society sort of has, and, and maybe not just us, and, and maybe it's in some other cultures too. But, but yeah, it's it's it seems just self conscious. I think that's just the word I'd I'd want to mm-hmm. use. It's like you do you do. Um, care about how you're perceived totally well it took me a very long time after being like a dancer to be able to just dance freely without having to try to do choreography to try to look a certain way now I just look like a complete psycho and I'm up there (laughs) just like shaking it out but I understand that and I could do it to look cool because I would know how to dance to the beat and make it pretty but that's also not I'm still dancing the way that I think someone else is going to like the way that I move. Mm. So there's a difference between necessarily looking good when you dance and actually being able to like dance freely just for you. Like what you're saying, get in Mm. front of a mirror and dance it out. And just Just wiggle it out. Yeah. Have a little wiggle. (laughs) Or even just like shake it out. Yes. Like it feels really good. Like the way that animals shake it off, like if they, you know, if something happens. Well, it's also the truth. If shaking actually releases tension and stress from your nervous system. Mm. so there you go like, hot tip everyone yeah no so it's true just like shaking it out like if you've had a really tough day like just like give yeah. yourself a good shake and it's it's what animal exactly what you said like if animals have been chased as a deer or something yeah. they lie down and they shake and then they don't carry the trauma with yeah. them they're just they're, they're off good. with their we just keep pushing the trauma down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't move I can't move I'm good and then the yeah. trauma just keeps building <laughs> the stress keeps building so well, there's yeah. something so joyful when you do see someone who's just like dancing and they don't care. I remember going to um, a show to see my friend Movi perform mm. and it was, I think it was that area where Concord Pacific is, yeah, that grassy area. And there was this woman in her 50s. She was the only one up there dancing to his music. She did not give a shit. I love it. She was just having a fun time and I was just, I couldn't help but smile because yeah. she was just living life. Totally. I was honestly kind of jealous. I was like, shit, she has confidence to just do that. Yeah, because you can be jealous because it's like that interesting thing where you're like, you look kind of weird, but also 
I'm kind of jealous that you're able to be that free. Totally. That you're that okay, enough okay of yourself that you don't care what anybody else thinks. She was just happy. And then also like good for her for being like a light that might spark other lights that maybe next time someone else will get up with her and then she'll actually start to like be that that starts to spread a little fire. Fire starter. Fire starter. For sure. Well, I'd love to get into Jaybird because I really mm. love the story of how that that game came to be. And I remember you saying to me the other day that, you know, it was really you having to push through your fear when you finally started it with your business partner and friend, Barbie Bent, mm-hmm. who is also the founder of Legree West. Yes. Um, but yeah, tell me about Jaybird and how this all coalesced and what it's brought into your life. Yeah. Um, it's so crazy to think back and be like, I almost was too scared, but uh, I'm so grateful that I did say yes. Um, I guess the story kind of starts, um, I was working with Barbie at Legree West. I was her first employee, so cute. I was her first like master trainer. Um, and my sister is an actor and she got a job that was going to move her to Hawaii. And um it was the biggest job that she'd ever gotten in her life and she had to leave right away. And my sister has a dog that's pretty much, or had a dog, he's passed away now, that was her best friend. And the dog wasn't going to be able to come to Hawaii because of quarantine and all these things. So she was like, Ariel, will you move to LA and take care of Buddha for me when I do this show? And I, at first, it had just said yes to doing, to helping Barbie. And then I was like, no, 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 like this isn't. At this time, I had made this decision to do what makes me afraid. So as I had said before, like I've always looked to continue to grow. And at this time I was working with this idea that through choosing uncomfortability and through choosing what I'm afraid of, I'm going to get more growth than continuing to just say yes to what I'm sort of already doing. So this came up, I moved to LA and when I was in LA, I started going to some classes down there. Um, they were like some infrared classes and I loved infrared and maybe like the candlelit kind of, um, some kind of spin on some yoga and stuff. And Barbie came down and this ended up going on for like two years. I lived there, but then I'd also ended up teaching retreats and it kind of took like a longer time for this all to come together. Um, but partway through the time Barbie ended up coming to LA and I took her to a studio and I was like, we, I was like, you should do, like, I didn't even say we, I said, you should do something like this, like a dark infrared room with like loud music. And she was, we were talking back and forth. And I mean, she, maybe she said it, I don't really remember exactly, but I had taken her to the studio and we had this idea. So whoever stared at, I'm not going to say it was me or her. It was just a collaboration of ideas. Um, and she was like, oh, we should do it together. And I had seen my best friend own a studio And she ended up having to sell it. And it was this, and I taught there and it was just a really, I felt like I lost my best friend through the stress of this studio. Um, And when I was younger, people would always ask me like when I was going to own my dance studio and I'm like not owning a dance studio, like no. Um, So I never wanted that. I never, and usually as I had said at the beginning, I knew what I wanted more and this I was like, no. But um, Barbie is an incredible businesswoman and she had been, she'd opened, she'd had three Legree studios by now in about a year and a half. And she really knew what she was doing and she's an amazing friend and amazing partner. Um, so I kind of was like, well, if this, if you're really doing this, then are you too afraid? And that was at the end of the day, that was the question. Are you too afraid? And I wanted to try to intellectualize it. Like, no, I know better with my mind. But the truth was, is that I really, if I would have said no, I was too afraid. 
Um, so ended up doing everything I could to find the finances to do it. And now we opened Jaybird in June of 2019, which is wild, um, in Vancouver. And really, I think the idea of Jaybird just came from this like intersection between mindfulness and like movement. And I think that I had been in the industry for a long time and so had Barbie at this time. And we were seeing there was like a place where there were some really kind of ugly bits of a lot of like judgment of each other, judgment of yourself, having a mirror and people not feeling good about each other or comparing themselves or just like toxicity within the fitness community. And I'm not saying that like that can't exist. It doesn't exist everywhere. I'm just saying that we saw a lot of it and I really, both of us really wanted to bring something that really enabled people to do what we wanted to do and grow as human beings through movement. And so that was kind of the basis of where Jaybird came from. So turn off the lights, turn off the music, turn up the music, get out of your head, get into your body. And it's a place where there's like no judgment. You're not comparing. It's just you, your breath, your music at the end of music and, um, and a good workout and a good sweat. So yeah. I like that. I like that. I, I never realized the connection between why you're turning down the, the lights low and that non-comparison aspect. I really love that, actually. I didn't know that about about the, the lighting. Yeah. Mm. We don't tell you all our secrets. I'm just yeah. <laughs> actually, it's on our <laughs> Well, website. now I know. It's on your website. And we also, we also backed everything in Jaybird um, in neuroscience as well. So what it's actually doing to your brain when you turn the lights down and how your other senses heighten. Uh, what that actually so there's a lot of like science behind the whys of different things that we did because I think that a lot of times you're like oh we're gonna do this because and you're like well why do I feel so good when I go into that room right right what is heat actually doing to my brain what is the darkness doing so and then your hearing going up and yeah right yeah oh that's so cool Hmm. I'm interested to know because you were talking about how you're trying to push through this fear of starting the studio. And then um, you saying at the start that you were such a fearless kid. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious to know where, or maybe my curiosity is more so, how has your relationship um, with fear evolved over time? And where do you think that fear for adults comes from? Um, that's a good, very good question. I can speak for myself. I don't know if it's the same for everybody. I think I am still very fearless when it comes to someone being like, oh, jump off that cliff. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I don't have the same kind of fear of dying as some people do. Like I definitely still am more fearless like in that way. I'll, I'll try anything. Um, not when it comes to like eating weird food, not into that at all. That's a hard no. I'll say I'm fearless, but what if you're putting a weird, like, uh, no, no, there's no maggots going in my mouth. That's no. Um, but yeah, for that, I think I still am relatively fearless. Um, I think I kind of talked about it before when you go through certain things in your life where you feel like your sense of survival might, I guess you can get, get pushed to a place where you're really terrified you're not going to survive or that you, and if certain things happen, like you're so on the brink that you end up, you, you end up making like, how do I say this? Um, you make choices for survival rather than maybe a choice of what you need best for yourself or what's going to make you grow because all you care about is surviving. So I think some of my fear when it came into starting something new for all these things that, 
would have made me afraid was, is like, well, how about if I lose everything because I've been close to that before? Mm. And how about if I can't survive? How about if I don't have a place to live? How about if I don't have food? How about if I like, so that's, I think where my deep, that's where like the, the deep fear of mine comes from is like a sense of like, I try to control everything in my life because in control, I believe I can then survive. So if I feel like I can't, because it's when I was very young, I had to control a lot of things. And if I didn't control people's perception of myself, how I existed in the world, I wouldn't be okay. Um, and so I think that that has kind of moved. Oh, I'm, I'm getting way better at relinquishing control and, and, and like, but I still work with that a lot. So it definitely comes, I think fear is something that like comes on you. Like you're not afraid of something until something kind of happens. It shows you that, oh, something bad could happen from mm. there, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you see somebody else suffer or. Yeah, you know. I can resonate with all yeah. that you've, you've said. So trying to. Trying to let go of control is a fun one. <laughs> I think we're all. Oh yeah, I think we're all slight control freaks. <laughs> time and again, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know what you appreciate most about Barbie and your dynamic as friends and co-founders. Um, Barbie, I've never seen someone grow so much since I've met her. Her commitment to being the best version of herself is amazing, and I, I respect so much about her. She's incredibly intelligent. She's an amazing businesswoman. And I think the best thing about her and I is, is that we are opposites. We're so opposites. And so what I'm really good at, she, I'm not saying that she's not good at it. It's just not her strength. And what she's good at, I'm actually not good at some of the things, aka like Excel spreadsheets, not fun. <laughs> so I think that um, me, she allows me to do and trust me to do what my job is and I trust her and I think that is a place where I have relinquished control and it works really well so being like I trust you and we both have done it with each other so if there's a decision in the business that's more in my realm it's like okay and we might disagree it goes to me and then if it doesn't work then we have to come back and talk about Mm. it again but it's trusting each other that we both and I I can say like straight up I don't know I've worked, I'm a very hard worker and Barbie is a very hard worker. So knowing that the other person is always working as hard as you are is pushes you to work harder, but also you just trust the person, you know, they're doing what they can to make the business the best they can. And she's got great ideas. She's super creative. She's got an amazing eye for design for brand. Um, So yeah, I can't speak highly enough about her. And she really, she's made some amazing sacrifices to help me get where I am and be able to be a part of this company and continue to grow with it and Mm -hmm. been so generous with some things that she really wants to help give me a leg up in the world because I didn't come from anything. Like I didn't have a lot of, my family doesn't have a lot of money or anything like that. So she's really made some um, really selfless and amazing I would say gifts to me that would have helped me be able to continue to, I guess, get a leg up in the world, which people don't mm. always do that. So yeah. That is a friend. Yeah. It's a friend. Oh. Yeah. And I can attest, I've met her a few times. She's very lovely. Yeah. Yeah. She is. Yeah. She's lovely and she's also powerhouse at the same yeah, time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like you when you tell. meet her from outside, you don't know. <laughs> she's kind of quiet. You're like, oh. Yeah. I know she was like, you know, 
I think Ariel should just do the podcast. Yeah. I'm a bit of a behind the scenes person. Because yeah. We were originally talking about maybe both of you being on, but oh yeah, she would yeah, hate this. Gotta, <laughs> <laughs> she would hate this. Like, you gotta respect that. Yeah. yeah. She knows what she's good at. See, that's part yeah, of it too. Exactly. She's like, yeah. you go talk. It's good. <laughs> that's I love that. you're better at this than me. Well, I'd love to talk about your connection with Peru because yeah. for a, a number of years you've been doing an annual retreat um, there and a few of my friends have gone mm-hmm. and have talked, just spoken so highly about what they've they've gotten out of it. And uh, I'd love to know why Peru is a special place in your heart. What can you tell me about the, about the culture there and, and the people? That is such a draw. Um Maybe you had a honestly, past life there. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> my mom did retreat. So my mom started doing retreats in Peru when I was like 17. And I literally made fun of her because I was like, who wants to go on vacation and like do all this woo-woo stuff and meditate? And like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who wants to take their vacation and go away with you? <laughs> literally what I thought in my head was so mean. Um, so my mom was very far ahead. This is when per- retreats were like nobody did retreats. Like this is like – probably 25 years ago, 20 years ago. So long time. Yeah. And she had always loved Peru and I'd always wanted to go. I also had wanted to do ayahuasca. So I thought it was like a place that I wanted to go. And, and my mom had done it and told me about it when I was younger. And I was kind of like, oh, this is something. But I hadn't been called. And so I think my mom is in love with Peru. And when we were talking about doing a retreat, Machu Picchu was somewhere I always wanted to go. I had no idea that I would fall in love with the land the way that I did and fall in love with the culture. So that was a huge shock to me. Um, And I do kind of believe that I have some deeper connection there to why I just love it. Like I feel like my cells feel at home there. Um, I think a lot of people can feel that way, especially when you're in these like very ancient sites. Like even though you're in Machu Picchu with thousands of people walking around if you stop and you just breathe and like feel the energy in that place is absolutely incredible. Like it's like nothing else. The way that the way that the culture in Peru um, sees God is was is was very eye opening to me. Um, I've never been like. Uh, seeing God as a specific thing. I always was like, God is kind of everything and, you know, it's energy and consciousness and everything. Um, But they really speak so much about like the apus and the mountains and like that is their God and it teaches you what you need to know. So when you go to Peru and you're up in like high altitude doing some of these hikes and you, it's hard to breathe or you're not feeling well or whatever it is, it's, they're like, this is you learning. This is you, they believe like your mind gets quieter because your breath has to get louder while you're walking. So it's putting you into a state of meditation. It's making you present. The mountains do that. And they have so much love for like Pachamama and which is like Mother Earth and the way that they, the way they respect, which is very like, I know it's like most indigenous cultures have this way. I just hadn't been, I think I had a deeper connection just with something and with the shamans that were teaching and being there and walking through the Andes for like five days and camping and sleeping out underneath the stars and spending five days walking. Mm. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I just guess I just saw a lot of people were, I just wanted to do something to help. If I was going to come there, I felt that I wanted to give something back. I didn't want to just go and take, I wanted to be able to support the people that are there. So, 
um, that's when we've kind of done a lot of work with raising money and building like a little house for this and going to different schools and, you know, bringing things that they need and not making it really about us just like going through the locals there. So, Mm. yeah. So beautiful. I, you know, as you were starting to talk, um, the word that came to my mind was reverence, Mm. you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, I felt, I felt similarly when I was in Bali in 2015 and I was, um, at Chertu Empul Temple in Ubud and had just done the whole water ceremony. Yeah. And, um, I, I was on my own and I was walking through the rest of the temples and there was this one area. And as soon as I walked into it, I like wanted to just fall to my, le- my knees because I could feel just the reverence and, and the God like mm-hmm. in that place. And again, God's can, not a I've thing, there. You but can it's feel like, it. I know that temple, you can feel it. It was like yeah. so hushed, but I yeah. knew it was there. So I know what you mean yeah. about that reverence. Yeah. And I think people do have connections to different places, but I think that there is energetic centers where it's like people have prayed and people have put energy yeah. into that place for a very long time and it's it lasts stays. Yes. You can feel it. Yeah, I think yeah. they say the same with um sites in Egypt mm-hmm. and um Sedona apparently has, mm. has I've been to the pyramids too. and a couple of really ancient sites in Egypt. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have the same connection. You can feel how old Egypt is Mm. it was diff it was yeah it was different and and for me it was different but yeah there was a lot of but yeah and even in like um I went to one of them like down in like down into Mexico there's a lot of stuff in that area too for some from the Aztec and stuff it's really interesting Mm. yeah I think we take it a lot of it for granted when you actually stop and you know Mm. listen Mm mm-hmm so retreats, will there be another this year or is it something that might shift? Um, yeah. So my mom is getting older and um, she's not sure if she wants to do Peru again. So usually the way that it works is we do a seven-day women's retreat and I teach the movement and she teaches like the personal development side of it. Um, works a lot with people just to kind of kind of break them out of their comfort zone, like have them kind of look at what is holding you back in your lives and then working for those patterns. And then we kind of use movement and all this. And then some people will choose to do like ayahuasca at the end. um, If that's something that they want, you don't have to. Um, And then you can have the choice to either come on the hike with us or not. So it's usually like a two week retreat. It's a lot. She's like in her, like it's a lot to hold and a lot to organize. So she's not sure she wants to do another one. So this one might've been our last one Um, Mm. for me to think, of not ever bringing people back to Peru, that doesn't seem right. So I would possibly look at like doing something in collaboration with like Jaybird and maybe something like that and um, in the future. Uh, but right now I think that retreats are going to be probably on hold for a little bit while we get our second studio in Toronto open. Yes. Congrats. Yorkville, you. right? Yorkville. Yes. Yeah. And then I'm just going to say it out loud because you might as well just like do it. We're <laughs> looking at um, a space in New York. So if that happened, that would be like 2024. We'd be trying to expand into the U.S. into New York. So that's my dream. If it happens, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> say it yeah. out loud, right? Yeah. Um, so when you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Barbie's brother owns and he's a co-founder of another company called Othership. And so we are opening in Yorkville with them. And then we would be probably you're opening in the U.S. with them as well. So it's fun to have kind of a yeah, co-brand. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm actually going to Toronto 
at the end of February, and I'm going to go to Other Ship because oh. I'm good friends with Adam. Yeah. Yeah, Lewis. Yes. And he was like, come in. I was like, yes, finally. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. You got to. I'm excited. It's, it's really cool experience. Yeah. It's yeah. right up my alley. So. Yeah, okay. definitely. No, you'll – and it's just a really good group. They've created a beautiful community there. Um, mm-hmm. And the nice it's thing grown is- grown quickly, like in terms of that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that want to do new different things and they've gotten this like being able to do kind of like a social in the evening and it's like the cold plunge and the sauna and everyone's like, it's it's good. You can go on a date there. You can do all these different things. Yeah. Like, I love it. People yeah. are, are choosing it over the club. I know. I'm like- Who knew? Who knew? I mean- I still like the club. <laughs> Maybe this is because I like dancing, you know? Yeah, yeah, So for exactly. me, people are like, oh, I'm not going to the club anymore. I'm like, sorry. But You're like, like, see you later. I'm doing I'm like, my cold oh. plunge and I'm going. I'm like, I like concerts way too much. I like DJs way too much. Yeah. But it, yeah. everyone has their own thing, right? And that's also it. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not going to go and dance at the club, you might not like the club so much. You're standing yeah. there with your drink feeling awkward. Like, for me, I'm like, like on the dance floor, <laughs> really going for you're it. Ra- you're rallying everyone. Yeah. You're like, no. No, we're doing now this. I'm old, so who knows? You might be like, who's this old bitch? What the hell are you doing here? I can see your wrinkles in the dark. <laughs> or they might be like, yes. Maybe I I'm like be the like lady. You. Maybe I'm like the lady that you were talking about. <laughs> I'm going to be like at the dance floor, it'll be clear, and I'll just be like, yeah. Yes. And you know what? We all should be. Yeah. We all should be. So be the light. I'll be yeah. that light. Start the fire. Exactly. Um, you and I were touching about uh, t- talking yesterday about the well-being industry and sort of like the difference between Vancouver and in Toronto, not that anyone is is better than the other, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's so interesting how, um, yeah, how wellness and modalities are different in other places. So, for example, I'll even use the example of um, I feel like LA has been so ahead of the game in terms of different types of ways to do sound mm. and immersions, and they've been leading the way for a really long time, and um, you know, and and the community supports that yeah and I think you know all the other cities will will catch up um but they do that well and mm-hmm. the community responds to that well um yeah so it's just it's really interesting how the reception to certain modalities are are different in in and all places and it like, takes time like sorry did not mean to interrupt you yeah, yeah, like, do you think that part of that is is like especially for something like sound so mm. if there's a small group that starts and it's not that well known like a lot not it's not I wouldn't say people it's definitely on the rise but it's not something that everybody is doing so the interesting question is is that like when a certain people start doing it well then it brings more people there and then more people start talking and when you have the best of the best in an area it's going to grow so it's like it's hard because it's like well if you're really good at this do you choose to go to LA and be a part of like a great community that's already doing it or are you going to go move maybe to Toronto where there's not as many people doing it you might be more on the forefront yeah but it's going to be a harder maybe build so it's interesting how as you say certain communities can get really strong in certain modalities but it's Mm -hmm. kind of brings all the good people because it's like totally and then everyone grows from each other and you get better and better yeah I mean look what other ship has done for hot and cold yeah therapy like mm-hmm. amazing. Well, you actually, know? I would say like, look what Wim Hof have done. Well, for, sorry, yeah. Wim Hof. So it's but like yeah. he's the star. Mm-hmm, like, and it's mm-hmm. like he went out when no one was doing it. Everyone's like, who is this crazy guy that's doing like breath work and cold therapy? Yeah, that's like, and there was, but but like people have been doing hot and cold therapy since like, like think of like old like like anyone in like Sweden like that area. It's it's been in cultures. Yeah. There's always been like hot in every culture. Sweat lodges. 
Mm. Maybe not the cold because obviously some places don't have the cold. But this is kind of goes back to when we were talking about the like dancing and the movement. There's certain things go through a lot of different cultures and they're usually things that work. Mm -hmm. So to be able to start to use these tools to really allow us to embody the best version of ourselves and Mm -hmm. you know it's yeah and then we now have the science and now we have the science yeah yeah Yeah, maybe I should um revise what I say said about that um maybe I should just say like look what othership has done in spreading the word oh 100% oh yeah yeah. oh no and I agree they've done amazing amazing Mm -hmm. things but it's like it's so it originated elsewhere and everything someone and they're just they're they're a a satellite. Oh yeah, and no, and what they've it. done is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and community building is amazing. On yeah, them, so yeah, and I love it. And I think that's the same thing. Like, it's there's always those people. Like the same thing with sounded, but there was a couple people in LA that were those kind of like yeah. catalyst people that started spreading yeah. the word. And let me tell you, since I got my certification two years ago, and then observing locally at least in the last year, I'm like, wow, the amount of people who are doing sound bats now was not at that same level a year ago. I get people like almost once a week like messaging and being like, can I do a sound healing? Yeah. People are so, it's mm-hmm. like such a new, like a new thing in the way that the amount, exactly what you said, the amount mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I've been getting more and more increased inquiries on, do you do classes anywhere? And I'm like, oh, it's coming in 2023. Um, but Exciting. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd love to to do that. I mean, when I started my practice, a lot of it was just private at first mm-hmm. and and corporate. But yeah, when you're starting to get messages about like, hey, what can when are you doing your next one, your next event or your next yeah. group thing? I'm like, oh, okay, I might have to answer to what people are asking mm-hmm. for, you know. And people feel good. It makes you feel it's yeah. it's you're kind of like bypassing you're bypassing certain things in our brain and like the sound can kind of just do that. So people are like, oh, wow, I feel really relaxed. Even if their brain is like chattering the whole time, it's, they're still getting the sound, the healing aspects of it. And it's, it's, they can attach to that sound, right? And it it will help take them away to the the brainwave state that they need to be in. So it's so so exciting. Again, there's lots of science behind it that I absolutely love. And that I think helps. I think certain people, you can't get them to a room, but when they know the science, they're like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, maybe I'll try this. Exactly. Because I think for a long time, a lot of these modalities were kind of seen as woo-woo. 100%. And this kind of very like woo-woo, spiritual, hippie, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but no. it's interesting. And it is there's a lot to of, that. Yeah. yeah. It is, but it's a, you're now you're getting like guys in suits that are wanting to do a sound yeah. bath after their really busy day at work because they're like, oh, I'm going to feel so much better. Yeah, exactly. It's the same and thing I with like it. meditation, mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. what meditation actually does and how much yeah. of a tool it is for everything in our yeah. lives. And and it's how you communicate mm-hmm. it as well. I, I did this um, online retreat and it was a morning thing and there was some journaling, there was breathwork person. And the guy who was doing a little bit of movement and breathwork um, was part of the Toronto Blue Jays. And now I think he's their mental health coach. Uh, but anyways, he was saying that um, – Instead of calling it breathwork to the team, they call it tactical breathing. So oh it's just God, like, amazing. it's just the language yeah. so that people feel comfortable with it. Yeah. And it's something that they understand. Like these players understand the word tactical more yeah. than they just do breathwork. And that's okay. You just need, need and to And also if you language. Google breathwork, there's some weird guy going, with like <laughs> some loincloth and they're like, I am not being yeah. a part of that. What are you trying to get me to do? 
<laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, yeah, I love it's, that. It's fascinating. It's I love that. Fascinating to see how all of this is is growing and how it's evolving and shifting. I mm-hmm. think it's really exciting. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So a couple more questions yeah. for you. Um, you were saying to me yesterday that you're at a turning point in your life where some things are ending, some things are are beginning. Are you feeling expansive right now when you when you think of this next year or two of your life? Like what comes to mind and heart? Yes, expansive. Um, I was feeling I'm feeling more expansive today. I think I kind of like for some reason had a weird like hangover at the beginning of the year, like not an actual like hangover, but just kind of like a bit of an emotional hangover. I think I realized that I didn't give myself enough time off. So when I came back to work, I was I really didn't want to. I was like, I want another day to lie and to rest and to do something fun or whatever. So I think I have to make sure that in this year with so much stuff coming down the pipeline, I am able to do things to take care of me. And that's what allows me to continue to be like expansive. And I rem- um, I remember this lady said to me once, she's like, Ariel, you're like the, like, you're like the earth for Jaybird, like you're the soil. So like, if you don't water the soil, if you don't take care of you, it dries up, nothing can grow. And I know we've heard this and we've said that it makes so much sense, but I kind of, I'm like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm doing things that I love, like going to concerts and sleeping in and doing things that really fuel me as a human. And I'm not just working because there's always work to do. And I think when I don't do that, then the feeling of like expansion, I end up feeling more of like this contraction of like, I have too much to do. I don't know what I'm doing. How am I ever going to get it done? This year is going to be a lot. But when I give myself space, I'm like, oh my God, this is so exciting. So Mm. I guess it's just interesting because I don't know where I'm going to be living. I don't know like if New York is going to go. I don't know like all these different things. So, you know, I'm in Toronto for two months. Then we'll have to find a new place. It's just like so many things. Um, To be honest too, like I think that I – I'm turning 40 in in March, which is in like two months. And I definitely didn't think I'd be single at 40. So I think like that's a thing too that's kind of on my mind where I'm trying to like, as you say, just trust and let go. But also I think that I have to start to put some like effort. You can't just be like, I'm going to sit in my house and Mr. Wright's going to show up in my bed. So maybe I have to like, you know, start to put a little more effort into like usually when I'm in Toronto, I'm just working. So, you know, going places, doing things. And um, but yeah, I think I'm 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 very grateful. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to be seeing Jaber doing well in Toronto and doing well here and having my dream and so much a part of me expand is really excited and exciting. Excuse me. And yeah. A well, lot answer for your little yeah, easy question. No, Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I can't wait to see everything that unfolds. I think it's it's wonderful and so well deserved. And you do work Thank hard. You. So yeah, I think it's going to be an incredible couple of years for you. The rest of your life is going to be incredible. Uh, no, that will be interesting. <laughs> yeah, this year is going to be an interesting one. So I think it's it all comes back to that what we were talking about before, the idea of trust and let like kind of relinquishing control. And that is and relinqu- and I also for me it comes a lot of if I live in a mindset of scarcity that there's not enough that I try to hold on to everything, the business will never get as big or as great as it can. And so I have to just keep trusting that like mm. that it's I can't even see how big it possibly can be. I have to just trust. 
Mm, such a good reminder, even for me right now. Yeah, no, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I felt like I needed to hear that myself too. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate yeah. that. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, two more questions. Um, so from Ariel, the young adult, to Ariel, the woman that you are now today, when you reflect back, what are the biggest ways in which you feel you've evolved as a person, a daughter, a sister, a friend? One of them would be that I definitely had – a word like I'm I like it's hard to explain when I was younger and it still happens now but like bad shit always happened to me and I created a lot of myself but even my friends would be like oh it's an aerial day like oh you're you're like you ran out of gas then you got your stuff stolen this like it's just like nothing would ever go right like I really had to struggle so much and I think that part of that was a mindset that I created around myself that like I could sustain more than anybody else and it was part of my ego so I would just continue to create bad things to happen to me so that I could continue to feel that I was better than everybody else because I could survive anything. And that I think from, if I could tell my younger self, that would be like the biggest thing I would say, like, that's not true. You have to stop doing it because it caused me the most pain in my life because of just, and it was even in relationships, I can take it, I can take it, I can, you know, you're not being nice to me. That's fine. Like I, like I'll, I'll put up with it. So I think for me, like a big change was really, and I'm, I still have to work on it, but this idea of like trying to create ease in my life, my life is a lot more easeful than it was. Um, and this understanding that I think really understanding that I know we're said that you have to work hard to succeed and blah, 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 but there's also a place where you can just, it's not always about how hard you work. It's also sometimes just about the way that you show up in each moment. Mm. I love that. Hmm. I really need to contemplate that one. I really, I think I'm going to take that one with me. It's how you show up in each moment. My final question that I ask everyone. Yeah. With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I think that if there's like one thing that I could hope that my life can like offer people is maybe just something if it is through Jaybird or through whatever it might be but maybe just like a light that enables them to feel like you know oh well if she can do this then you know maybe I can try or you know if she's gonna go up there and dance like a silly person maybe I can try or it's if she's gonna go jump in cold water like a psycho and then I'm gonna try or it's just maybe it's being able to help people like limit like like liberate themselves from some of their beliefs and it's their own choice it's nothing that I do but I believe that like you whatever you offer like if you're offering it to yourself then then another can kind of and you're offering it to another like it's kind of that same thing like it's like you can't how do I say this more clearly like if I show up for me in the way the best way that I can I hope that then you know I can be a light for someone else to maybe believe that they can do it too or offer them something like in Jaybird to be like, oh, I never thought I'd do something like that. But, you know, I was able to break free of something I thought I couldn't do or maybe for a moment my mind wasn't racing. And then that's just like helps them on their own path to maybe a little bit more mindfulness or a little bit more self-discovery because at the end of the day, I really think that the only reason we're on this planet is to grow. 
And so if we're not growing, then why should we be like, what's the point in existing? Mm. So if I can continue myself to grow and be a person that people look back on and say like, wow, like, you know, she really lived her life out fully. That would be like the legacy I'd love to leave behind. And then that to kind of maybe have others be like, oh, well, there's more I can do too, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I'm not always the most articulate person. I wish I could like <laughs> make it come out of my brain the way that I want to say it. But no. I did teach five classes today. So I did. And you know what? Kind of you know, that was a so, wonderful but, sentiment. Yeah. A really beautiful yeah. sentiment. And They'll probably a really listen back wonderful like, thing to leave behind. you just say it like that? <laughs> I feel like every guest feels like that. They're I like, know. uh, was that yeah. even good? Yeah. <laughs> Did I even say? <laughs> oh, I appreciate uh, you so much. If people wanted to find you, connect with you, connect with Jaybird, SJS, all the things, where can they find you? Probably the easiest way is on Instagram. Um, I'm not on TikTok, even though I said I would, was going to be, but I still should probably get on it, but I feel too old. Um, it's just at Ariel Swan, so A-R-I-E-L-S-W-A-N. So just message me there or Jaybird. Um, you can find us on like our website or through Instagram as well. Just uh, it's we are Jaybird. So we'd love that. I'd love to connect, love to talk to anyone. And hopefully yeah, if you hear this and you want to take a class, just send me a message and you can hop on in as my guest. I love it. Oh, I cannot wait to see how the rest of the year unfolds for you. And it's been so nice getting to know you in this more in this yeah. one conversation and hopefully there's more to come. Yes. And same for you. I know you have a lot going on too. So sending you all the best Thank well you. wishes for 2023. <laughs> it's so exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.